Well, good evening, everyone. It sure is good to be able to be here with you tonight. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes, the 11th chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and we'll be making our study with that as our opening verse here in just a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I want to thank you all so much for the opportunity to come and to be with you again here. I appreciate so much that opportunity. And I'm excited tonight to be able to be speaking on the subject of challenges for the young Christian. In Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 9, the writer simply says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your own eyes, but know that for all of these God will bring you into judgment. I have to tell you, I love young people. Young people excite me because you're just so strong and you're so full of vigor and you can just do so many things because of the fact that you're young. And that's an exciting thing to me. Some years ago, I took a a trip to Six Flags Over Georgia. And as you can tell, I was a little bit younger then uh, than I am now. But I had gone with a group of young people and they had this ride there that was called Superman the Ride. And... It was an incredible roller coaster. In fact, I had barely gotten used to the scream machine. Does anybody remember the scream machine? Big old wooden roller coaster. Well, this thing, I want to tell you, it was kind of scary because what you'd do is you'd back up to it and then something would come and grab you and and wrap around you and then would lift you up like this and you're flying. And there were times when you looked like you were going to hit your head on a beam or something like that. It was the most terrifying thing I think I'd ever been on. But young people, they love that, and the scarier it is, the better. They just are just so full of life and, and love those things so very much. And because of that, young people keep me young in spirit, and so I love being able to spend time with them. And one of the reasons I love doing that is because, you know, I've got some things that are kind of wearing out myself. And Ecclesiastes 12 begins to talk about that. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. And so the Bible is teaching that while you may be able to do all of these great things when you're young, the day is going to come when things are going to kind of get difficult. Things start kind of wearing out. I remember one time I had gone to a, a gym in Fayetteville, Tennessee some years ago. And uh, there was a man in there who was working out with me. He was a good bit older than me. And uh, he was doing shrugs. And uh, so he had, he had some dumbbells, and he was just really working those shoulders over pretty good. And, you know, after you've done that a while, you're pretty tired. And so finally he did his last rep, and he said, like that. And when he did, I heard something hit the floor. His teeth had flown out of his mouth. And I looked over there, and he was reaching over, and he had picked his teeth up off of the floor, and he went over to a water fountain, and he was washing them off, and he stuck them in. And I was over there about to bust the gut. And I thought to myself, bless his heart, he has come to that time that the Bible speaks about that are the difficult days. And I know those days are coming for me. As you look in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 2, In one of the most poetic sections of all of the Bible, God describes old age, I think, in a most wonderful way. He says in verse 2, He says, While the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. I think He's saying that when you get older, there's not as many bright days that you experience. Then in verse 3, He says, It's the time when the keepers of the house begin to tremble. It seems to me that maybe that's beginning to talk about an an old lady's hands who uh, she has kept house for years with these hands, but now those hands begin to tremble. It's a time when strong men bow down. Um, You get stooped, and the back is not as strong as it once was. Also, it says it's a time when the grinders cease because they are few. And that seems to me to probably be a reference to a person's teeth. Then it says, those that look through the windows grow dim. Maybe that's a reference to eyeglasses. You just can't see as well as you once could. Then he says in verse 4, the doors are shut in the streets, and the sound of grinding is low. 
You can't hear as well as you once could. One rises up at the sound of a bird, not sleeping very well. The daughters of music are brought low. You can't sing as well as you once could. You are afraid of heights, verse 5. There's terrors in the way. Uh, that seems to me to maybe be a reference to, I think, about a man these days driving. Uh, he knows he might not ought to be out there, but he doesn't want to surrender his keys because when he surrenders his keys, he surrenders all of his independence. But the reason he drives so slow, and we're tempted to want to honk the horn and say, get out of the way, Sunday driver, is because he's scared. There's terrors in the way, and he's trying to be extra careful. Then it says it's a time when the almond tree blossoms. More than likely, that might be a a reference to the whitening of the hair. Mine's starting to do that a little bit down here in the in the uh, sideburns a little bit, and soon it'll be kind of more like Greg's there. The almond tree has uh, begun to blossom. Uh, the grasshopper is a burden. Things that once you could pick up very easily now, even the lightest things are kind of heavy. Desire fails. Uh, perhaps that's a reference to sexual desire. A man goes to his eternal home. Mourners go about the streets. Then he says in verse 6, Remember your Creator before the silver cord is loosed. Some think that might be a reference to the spinal column. Or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. That sure sounds like a heart attack to me. The wheel is broken at the well. And then ultimately he says, The dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. So, rejoice, O young man, in your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. It seems to me that God is saying to you young people, enjoy those years. Get everything you can get out of those years. Do the things that youth will allow you to do because the day will come when you won't be able to do that anymore. So God is saying these are exciting years and I want you to enjoy them. But He, he gives one qualifier. He says, you remember that for everything you do, it will be remembered by me. And so God is not giving you a free course to just do whatever you want to do, but everything that is within the lines, if it's good and right and fun and clean and enjoyable, God says, have at it. Because you're young and you can do those things. So they are exciting years, but they're also years that can be very, very dangerous. There are challenges that come for the young Christian. That's why I think the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22, to flee youthful lust. I think he's talking about that there's just some things, some lust and challenges that come with being young that you have to be particularly uh, thoughtful about. Flee youthful lust. What I want to do tonight is I want to talk about four challenges for young Christians today. The first one is where I really think we need to begin, because if somebody was to ask me, what do you think is the number one challenge for young people today, I think I would say that it's the challenge to listen. Sometimes you just don't want to listen. I remember when I was young, uh, I was kind of being stubborn about some things, and my grandmother just looked at me, and she said, You are so butt-headed. Well, now, I didn't know what she meant by that. Uh, it sounded like a word she shouldn't have even said to me. And I said, Well, I'd hate to tell you what you are. <laughs> and uh, she told my mama about that, and my mama got right to the seat of that problem. But what she was trying to say is, is You won't listen. You're stubborn. You're butt-headed. And typically, young people struggle with that sometimes. We think we've got it all figured out, and nobody can tell us anything, and our parents are just kind of old fuddy-duddies, and they don't understand anything anyway. And that's just typically how you think. Turn with me now, though, to the book of Proverbs. And I'm all the time telling people that if you have young kids, you need to drench them in the book of Proverbs. You really do. I am convinced that it is a toolbox for living, especially when you're young. It's, it's, almost, it's written like a father who's talking to his son. He's already been down some roads and he's learned some things and he's now trying to help that son to understand how he ought to go. 
Now, let me tell you, young people, there's two things that Proverbs is trying to say to the young person. The first thing that Proverbs is trying to say to the young person is that you are simple. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means you're naive. And God's not trying to slap you when He says that. It's not meant to be an insult. But what God is just trying to say is that you don't know enough to stay out of trouble. And somebody's going to have to kind of be over you, and somebody's going to have to, to guide you, and somebody's going to have to put some, some parameters on your life so that you'll stay out of trouble and you won't get into things that just get your life in a mess. And so God is telling you that, that I'm, I've, I'm writing these things to you because you're simple and you're naive and you're just bound to get into trouble if you're not taught well. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Proverbs says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, and now particularly verse 4, to give prudence to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. God is trying to say, I'm trying to get you ahead of your time. I'm trying to make you smarter than most young people tend to be because I'm telling you things that on, the, on the front end so that you don't get in trouble on the back end. Because when you're naive, you just tend to get into trouble. But what you need to do is you need to listen and you need to dig after wisdom. Notice verses 7 through 9 of Proverbs chapter 1. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, you haven't even begun to be smart until you learn, first of all, to fear God. But then he says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. They don't want to listen. But in verse 8, listen to this message. He says, my son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be graceful ornaments on your head, and chains about your neck. You got to listen. You got to want wisdom. We got a kid that just uh, became an Eagle Scout. That's not easy to do back back at Oakland. And I remember years ago, his dad told me. He said, he said, I just, I, he said, I just don't understand it really. He said, but he's all the time talking about wisdom. He just mentions wisdom all the time. That's that's uncharacteristic for a young child. But yeah, that's what God says you need to go after. Go after wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, My son, if you receive my words and you treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and you apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, now notice verse 4, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. God says, you've got to want this, young people. You've got to want my wisdom so much that you'll go after it like it's a treasure. Just like you would dig for a treasure, you're digging for the wisdom that comes from God's Word. Imagine that, um, like Greg and them did, you bought an old house. Several years old. And one day when you're in there kind of uh, working on things, you're in a closet, and maybe there's some, um, some, some wood in there, and you notice that in one of the cracks of that wood, there's a little parchment of paper sticking out just a little bit. And you reach in there and you pull that out, and you begin to read it. And it's from the previous owners of the home that have died some time ago. And it says... To whomever buys this house, my children have not been worthy of my inheritance, and I have left it. It is buried five feet deep beneath the old oak tree on the back side of the property. If you find it, the entire inheritance is yours. And it says that it's in the amount of several hundred thousand dollars. Let me ask you something, young people. Would you say... Well, you know, I just don't know if that note's authentic or not. Or would you say to yourself, you know, I, you know, uh, 
John's coming over a little bit later, and we're going to go riding around. I, and you know, I might get, I might take a look at that sometime. You know what you do. I know what I do. <laughs> I'm going to get me a shovel, and I'm running as fast as I can to that old oak tree, and I'm digging five feet down deep. Why? Because there's a treasure there that I'm bound to miss out on if I don't. And that's exactly what God says you need to do in regard to wisdom. So what I want to say to you tonight, young people, is don't balk. When your parents are trying to talk to you and they're trying to help you to understand what you ought to do, don't balk at that. Don't balk when God is trying to talk to you as well because He's trying to give you wisdom. Some years ago I heard from a friend of mine who used to sit down with his kids every morning at the breakfast table and like we're talking about, he'd study Proverbs with them. They'd be sitting there eating their cereal and he'd just read some from Proverbs. Well, one particular day he came out there and he said, all right, boys, he said, let's talk about Proverbs this morning. And they said, oh, Dad, have we got to do that again? He said, give me your cereal. And they... They were kind of balking. Give me your cereal. He said, if you don't eat this, you can't eat that, you're going to die either way. That's a lot of truth to that. You're going to die. You're going to suffer some things that you don't need to suffer if, if you don't get in the Word of God. We need to feed just as much from this as we would feed even from our cereal bowls. Look at Proverbs the 8th chapter. Wisdom is speaking in Proverbs chapter 8. And here's what wisdom is trying to say. Proverbs 8 and verse 35. Proverbs 8 and verse 35. It says, For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. You get that? Whoever finds wisdom finds life. But then in verse 36 it says, But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul, and all those who hate me love death. I, can, I only can wonder how many young people have ended up dead, literally, because they just didn't want to seek or listen to the wisdom that came from God and perhaps from their parents. You've just got to want it more than anything. You've got to want it even more than your next breath. story was told years ago about a, in an old ancient city where someone came to an old wise man in that city and said, I want to know what you know. And so the wise man said, come down to the water. And so he brought him down to the water. And the, young, and the wise man told him, he said, look into the water. And so he began to look into the water. And he said, look closer. And so he got down and he looked even closer. Look closer. And finally, when he had his head really close to the water, the old man took his head and just slammed it underwater and held him there. And I mean, his arms are flailing and everything. And finally, when the old man thinks he can't stand anymore, he pulls him back up and he's... <sighs> he said, what are you doing, old man? You trying to drown me or something? He said, when I was holding you underwater, what did you want more than anything else? He said, I wanted to breathe. He said, when your desire for wisdom is as great as your desire to breathe, you come see me again. And that's really where we've got to be. We've got to desire wisdom. Again, look at Proverbs 4 and verse 7. It'll make you smarter than even your teachers. Proverbs 4 and verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom in all of your getting Get understanding. And then turn to Psalm 119, and I really want you to notice this one. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97. Psalm 119 and verse 97. Psalm 119, verse 97, the writer says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. And then catch verse 99, young folks. I have more understanding than all of my teachers for your testimonies or my meditation. When I was in Gardendale, Alabama, we had a guy there. Woo, he had a brain on him. He had a thick head. 
Ph.D., Dr. Jeff Gray. And I never will forget him standing up and telling us. He said, I rub shoulders every day with some of the smartest men on the planet. He said, but when I need wisdom, I don't talk to them. He said, I go to my grandmama and my granddaddy out on the farm. They were Christians. And I sit sit with them around their old breakfast table. When I'm having trouble with life, and I ask Grandma and Grandpa what I need to do. And he says, there's where I get something that really helps me in life. And I want to tell you, when you go off to college, don't let these people with their PhDs, and I'm not putting that down. I understand exactly what it takes to get that, because I've done some of that myself. I don't have a PhD. But I've, you know, I graduated from college. I know what it would have taken to go on and do that. But sometimes they'll get in that classroom and they'll try to throw out things that, that are designed to throw you. I think about one who got up and said to the whole group, he said, there is no such thing as absolute truth. And one of the Christians in the group raised his hand, said, yes sir. He said, are you sure? Y'all get that? Do you get that? Here's a man who's just said there's no such thing as absolute truth. Are you sure? If he says, I'm sure, then he just made a statement that absolute truth is no such thing. I always tell people, and again, I'm not putting down all that higher learning, but you just remember when you step into a classroom and they try to intimidate you with all that kind of stuff, you just remember that they put their breeches on just like you do. Left leg last. I mean, that's the one I always put in last, the one that's left. Isn't that one you put? <laughs> left leg, the one that's left goes in last. And that's what they do. And that's what, you know, that's what I do. And I'm not going to let somebody intimidate me along those lines. And you don't need to do that either. So here's the point. Don't get mad. When your parents are trying to give you wisdom, It's going to make you strong and you'll be able to withstand the hardest of blows as you go through life. Today at the Bible school, it had rained hard last night. And I saw two big old black round things on the sidewalk and I thought, what is that? Did that fall off a tree or something? Two big old black round things. What it was is it it was baseballs that had been on top of the gym for a long time, and that heavy rain washed them down the downspout. They had lost their cover and beginning to lose a lot more. You ever taken a baseball apart? You take one of those things apart, first of all, it's got a lot of real small string, and then you get down to some yarn, and then right at the very middle is a hard rubber core. Let me tell you, if they put a marshmallow in the middle of that thing, you couldn't hit it very far. What they do is they take that hard core and then they wrap and they wrap and they wrap and they wrap until finally you hit that thing, it'll go a long way because it's got a hard core. And that's what God is trying to give you. He's trying to give you a hard center where you know what's right and you're determined to stand on what's right and your parents keep trying to wrap you with the wisdom of God. And let me tell you something, parents, don't ever give up on that. Don't ever quit giving up, uh, quit doing that. Keep doing that because you'll be able to go a long way in life if you'll have a core on God's wisdom. So listen. Listen. You will do yourself a great favor now to just go ahead and know that that's the way it is. You listen to your parents. They've been down those roads. They know where they go. And some of them know they go nowhere. And you don't have to test out that road to find out. They're telling you where it leads to start with. Be smart. Do what God said. And then there is the challenge to overcome peer pressure. Next to God and your parents, the single greatest influence in your life is going to be your friends. And I'm just going to tell you, if you choose the wrong ones, it can totally destroy you. Teacher one time said, Johnny, if you've got a hundred sheep 
and one of them gets out, how many have you got left? Johnny said, none. She said, Johnny, you don't know your math. Johnny said, teacher, I'm sorry, but you don't know sheep. <laughs> if one gets out, they all get out because they follow that one. And you know, that's what happens to a lot of kids. They, they become followers. And they get in a crowd, and they go with the crowd, and they just get themselves in all kinds of trouble. And the leaders don't even realize what's going to happen. Look at Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10. This almost sounds like a, a gang kind of thing to me. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. The writer says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us and let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without a cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We will fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us and let us all have one purse. Basically what they're saying is we're going to go out, we're going to take advantage of people, we're going to, we're going to beat up on people, and we're just going to split everything we get from all the people we rob and abuse. But the writer says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. But verse 17 says, Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood, and they lurk secretly for their own lives. And so are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Sometimes there's people who go out there and their intent is to hurt other people, but when it's all said and done, they're the ones that get hurt. When I was in Gardendale, Alabama, there was a, a robbery that took place one day in Fultondale. Two young men got together. I can just imagine them talking about, oh, this will be an easy one. Let's just go after it. Let's do it. And they went and robbed a bank, the two of them together. They robbed that bank. The police got on them hot and heavy, and they were in hot pursuit. Finally, they caught up with them. They got them in a dead end. The two guys got out of the car. Both of them lifted guns in the air, and the police shot and killed both of them. And I wonder how many of them said, let's go rob a bank, ride down the road being chased by police, and then die. That's the way it turns out so many times. And he's just trying to say ahead of time, you just don't go with that crowd. If you don't choose the right kind of friends, your life can be ruined. When last time I preached here, I, I think it's one of the last times, I did a lesson called uh, Lessons from Death Row. I'll just tell you briefly about this uh, fella. He tried to pull off a robbery. He needed a car. He found a boy and a girl sitting in a car, and he took their car, threw them in the back seat, and he and another guy went to make a robbery at a fast food place. The robbery was unsuccessful. They went out to a secluded area because they knew they had two people in the car who had seen their faces, and with them both begging for their lives, they shot both of them left one of them severely handicapped and killed the other. The thing about this guy, though, is that he had grown up as a member of the Church of Christ. His grandparents took him when he was young. But he was a rebel all the way. And he later writes a piece while he was in prison. He had gotten his life in check. Some Christians studied with him and he obeyed the gospel. He later wrote a paper called An Attitude Adjustment. And I want you to listen to what he says because you, you ask yourself, how does a man end up on, in an electric chair? How does that happen? How do you, how are you born one day, innocent as you can be, and then you end up on the other end in an electric chair? How does that happen? Well, he answered the question. He said, I have spent the last 16 years waiting for this sentence to be carried out. So as you can imagine, I've had a lot of time to look back at my life and see where I went wrong. I can honestly say it all began at age 13 when I stopped attending church. You hear that? It started at age 13 when I stopped attending church. He said, I know that's probably what you would expect me to say, but it's absolutely true. It was about this time also that I started smoking. This marked a change in my life. Not so much the cigarettes themselves but the attitude which led to make the decision to smoke knowing that it was wrong. What he's saying is, 
is that cigarettes put me in the crowd that was a little bit testy. Knowing that I shouldn't be doing it. He then said, being small for my age, I was often picked on and made fun of, so I was looking for a place to fit in. A group or someone who would accept me as I was, but it occurred to me that if I wanted to fit in, I would have to act like the group that I wanted to fit into. Strangely enough, the group that I that picked on me and made fun of me, whatever they did, I did, being too afraid to say no for fear that they would think what they would think of me. And so by age 14, I had taken my first drink, I had smoked my first joint, I had popped my first pill, I was ignoring God's warnings. And then he says, this was the kind of people I surrounded myself with and the kind of person that I became. You hear it? I surrounded myself with these kind of people and that's what I became. By age 17, I was deep into drugs and alcohol, and though still living with my parents, I made my own rules. Staying out all hours of the night, sometimes not coming home at all, failing in school, I just didn't care. What was that line we read a while ago that Wisdom said? All those who hate me love death. That's how you end up in an electric chair. And you'll be tempted to think, well, it's not going to rub off on me. These people aren't going to rub off on me. You think again. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter and verse 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33 simply says, and you know what, you know already what it says, don't you? It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. There's an old a Chinese proverb that used to say, he who lies down with a dirty dog picks up fleas. That's pretty much the same idea. I remember one time, uh, I got out in the backyard with my old golden retriever, and I got out there and just wrestled with him. I used to love to do that. And he'd grab a hold of that arm, and he'd hold me pretty firm, but you know, he'd do it just enough to say, I got you. And then I went inside after wrestling with my dog a while, and I sat in my recliner, and I'm watching TV, and all of a sudden, I... <laughs> felt something right there, and I, I grabbed it, and I looked, and I, I had a flea on me. You know how I got that on me? I was playing with a dirty dog. And by playing with that dirty dog, I picked up fleas. And you can't spend time with the wrong people and not pick up their fleas. You just can't. Do not be deceived, God says. Do not be deceived. And then there's the challenge to be sexually pure. Oh, you face so much in the world that you live in. There is so much sexual temptation out there. It's just kind of thrown in the faces of young people these days. It used to be that most of that pressure was coming from the guys. It used to be that years ago, if a guy was going to be sexually unpure, he had to push and he had to maneuver and he had to just keep pressing. I don't know that it's that way much anymore, not from what I'm being told by people. Nowadays, a lot of the girls are very forward and they're the ones who are pushing in directions that you shouldn't go. In Proverbs 7, there's a person like that discussed. And the father is saying to his son, Son, don't go near this kind of person. Don't go near this woman. He says in Proverbs 7, verse 1, My son, keep my words, treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. My law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your nearest of kin that they may keep you from the immoral woman and from the seductress who flatters with her words. And when you look at the next section, I want you to notice how skilled she is in weakening this man. In verse 6, it says, For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, there's that word, I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youth, a young man who was devoid of understanding. Passing along the street near her corner, he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot, 
with a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside in the open square looking at every corner. And now I want you to notice how she appeals to all of the senses. Touch, taste, smell. She pulls out all the stops. It says that she caught him, verse 13, and kissed him with an impudent face and said to him, I have peace offerings with me. I've paid my vows. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face. I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry. I have colored coverings of Egyptian linen. This is sight. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon, the smell. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him and will come home on an appointing day. With her enticing speech, she causes him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. And immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know that it would take his life. Now therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded. And listen to this. All who were slain by her were strong men. Strong men brought down. Verse 27 says, Her house was the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. And so, young ladies, you choose the kind of young lady that you want to be. The question really becomes, are you going to be one who seeks to be chased? Or are you going to be one who seeks to be chaste, pure, keeping yourself as you should? It thrills me to see so many young ladies in the church who are determined to be chaste. To see them wearing the teachings of their parents like jewelry around their neck. Speaking of jewelry, I'm thinking of a, a couple of parents who, trying to impress this upon their children, just kind of had the custom that at age 13, they would take the child that had just turned 13 out to eat. And what they would do is they would choose a place to go that was very expensive. So that the impression is upon the child, whatever we're doing tonight, it is extremely important because our family never eats here. <laughs> and so they go there. And they eat this expensive meal in, in this expensive place. And then they had bought a ring and put some money into it as well. And then they gave the child that ring. If it's a girl, it was a ring. It was basically a ring that was designed to say that we want you to keep yourself pure. Our prayer for you is that you'll be pure until the day that you marry. We want you to wear it. We want you to see it. We want it to be a constant reminder to you to keep yourself pure for the man that you marry. And on the night that you marry, you can take that ring off your finger, you can replace it with the one that he gives you, and you can hand that ring to him, and you can say, all these years I've kept myself for you. That's the spirit, and that's the attitude that you need to have. God's not trying to mess you up. God's trying to help you. You're like a gift that's wrapped up tight. One day it'll be okay to unwrap the gift, but not now. Not now. Hebrews 13 and verse 4 is a great passage along those lines. Hebrews 13 and verse 4. The Bible says marriage is honorable. Marriage is honorable. And the bed is undefiled. God is saying that marriage was my plan and the things that happen in the marriage bed, I look upon it and I smile. Marriage is honorable. The bed is undefiled. But listen to what he says next. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. God is saying there is a place where this belongs and there is a place where it doesn't belong. It reminds me of the story of years ago how there was a family that was building a new house and they were putting out sod in the yard. And as the kids were outside putting down the sod, Mom looks out and says, Oh, that's beautiful sod. And one of the kids hearing that grabs a piece of that sod and brings a big square of it inside and drops it on the living room carpet. And mom says, get that nasty dirt out of here. 
And the child's scratching their head because, well, just a moment ago, Mama said it was beautiful. And now she's saying it's nasty. What's the difference? The difference is it belongs out in the yard. It doesn't belong in the house. And what God is saying in regard to this is it belongs in lawful marriage. In lawful marriage, it is beautiful. Outside of marriage and before marriage, it's nasty dirt, God says. And so God is encouraging you to keep yourself pure. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody who's discouraged right now because they've already messed up. If that's the case, I'd like to encourage you to resolve. You don't just say, well, I've messed up, so what's the use now? No. I heard of a girl one time who had messed up at age 14. Later on, as she entered college, she met a young man that got serious about her, and she got right serious about him. He wanted to date her more, and she just told him. She said, I just want you to know she said, I'm a recycled virgin. And what she meant by that was I messed up when I was 14. She told him she did. And she said, if you have any intentions of going down that road, just don't even start this thing right now. I determined then and there, never again, until I was married to the man that I loved with all my heart. Recycled. I think there's honor in that. That's what God would want you to do. And a man who knows that that's what you've done and that you've kept yourself even after messed up. You realize I messed up and you just decided then no more. You respect that. And you need to know that. It'll bless your life and your future husband will be blessed. And then last of all, there's the challenge to press on. Sometimes I, I see young people in the church spit and sputter and and then sometimes they quit. That's generally the way cars work. They spit before they sputter, and they sputter before they miss, and they miss before they quit. And that sometimes happens with young people. And I'm afraid that sometimes it may be because us older folks don't encourage you like we need to sometimes. Sometimes we can give you bad press, and you maybe we know that you messed up somehow, and instead of talking with you and trying to encourage you, people talk about you. That's what the Pharisees did. They were real good at talking about people. They wouldn't talk to anybody harder. They'd talk about people. They'd bring this woman caught in the very act of adultery, throw her right down in the midst of Jesus, evidently didn't really care about justice because if they caught her in the very act, then where's the man? They don't care about this woman. Jesus one time said to a Pharisee, Do you see this woman? They didn't see people. They saw people to look down their noses. That's what they did. And they didn't care about how they got where they got. I remember Paul Earnhardt one time talked about being in a foreign country and there was a woman that approached him and, you know, it's pretty quick. You could tell, you know, the kind of person that she had become. And Paul said, it just shocked me. She was on me so fast and offering services so fast. He said, he said, I turned to her and I said, you ought not to be doing this. And you think, well, that's a good response. And it, it is a pretty good response. But he said, later I got back to my hotel and I found myself wishing that I had said, I am so sorry. I don't know what has happened in your life that has brought you to this point that you would do this. But I have the answer. I have the answer to help your soul. Young people, believe in yourself. If you've made some mistakes, believe in yourself even yet. You are not what people say about you. And it is a waste of time to try to get everybody to like you because you never will. The Apostle Paul even had detractors in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. They talked about him. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, Paul says, With me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. 
You know what Paul is saying to them? He says, it's a small thing to me that I'm judged by you. He's basically saying that how you feel about me doesn't matter. What matters is how God feels about me. Just, just this week, one of our members at Oakland who messed up, thank God she didn't take that child's life, repented of her sins and is trying to take care of this little boy. And a woman walks up to her and sees her little boy and asks her, are you married? She said, no ma'am, I'm not. She said, well, you're going to have a hard life. And I'm thinking, well, that was really encouraging. That's really encouraging. She knows she messed up. She knows what's in front of her. She knows what she's got to deal with now. Sometimes you can't erase consequences. You can be forgiven, but consequences are still there. And I just told her, I said, listen, what some person says about you doesn't matter. What God says about you does. If you know that God has taken care of your sins, then rest easy in God's grace and get on with business. And that's what needs to happen. As we get close to finishing tonight, I just want to tell you that when I read my Bible, I find out that some of the greatest heroes of the Bible were all young people. You ever thought about that? You think, oh, Joseph, he was young. Oh, Daniel, he was young. Oh, Timothy, he was young. Some of our greatest heroes were all young people when they did what they did. And you need to know that you can do that. In this church, you can step up. You can be leaders. You can ask, what can I do? You can do all kinds of things in this congregation. Just talk to Greg. Say, I want a job. I don't care what it is. Give me something to do. I want to be involved. I want to be active. I want to be a faithful member of this church. God did not say that as Christians we are to be involved in God's work unless you're young. Now, He didn't say that. There's no such thing as a young Christian, really. You're just a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you need to be getting busy. And you need to take whatever comes your way with strength. Years ago, a member told me that he was at a congregation one week holding a gospel meeting and there was a, a guy there that was leading singing. And he was going to lead singing on Friday night. And so he said uh, he was also the drum major in the band. And he told his uh, uh, band director, he said, now, I'm not going to be able to be here when the game starts on Friday night. He said, but I'll be here at halftime. He said, because I'm leading singing at church. And his band director told him, he said, if you're not here when that game starts, don't you even bother to come at all. And he said, well, okay. And that kid brought his uniform to the band director and turned it in. Well, all the other kids had learned what had happened, how he had been treated. And my friend Martin said he was sitting on the front row getting ready to preach close to just about time for church to start. He said that young man was over there putting up his numbers on the board, putting the numbers up there. He said he turned around and he looked back to the back he said, and I saw tears shoot out of his eyes. And I thought, what has he seen? He said, and I turned my head around, and I looked in the back of the building, and the whole back rows were filled with band students who had come in their uniforms to support him. I'll tell you who got on the hot seat after that. It was that band director. Now, I can't promise you it will always be like that. But I can tell you that your friends at school will respect you. We got a kid at Oakland that a while back they had a party and they didn't invite him. And two of his buddies came to him and said, Listen, I, I just want you to know that we didn't invite you. Because, there is, yes, there's going to be some drinking at this party, and we know you don't do that. And that's, we, didn't want you, we didn't want you to feel like we were leaving you out, but we know who you are and what you stand for. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? That they care enough to let him know that that's why we didn't invite you. But we love you. You're God's child. Always do what's pleasing to God. I know our time is up. But I just want you to be encouraged to, to just know who you are and what you, what you stand for.
Years ago, there was a story about a guy who ran a tattoo shop. And a man was walking by and he saw a tattoo among all the tattoos that you could get. And one of those tattoos said, Born to Lose. Born to Lose. And he, was, he said, I just had to go in there and a Chinese man was running this shop. And he, I said, do you sell many of those? Born to Lose? He said, sell many. He said, why would somebody burn that on their body? Born to Lose. He said, before tattooed on body." Tattooed on mind. See, if you think you're a born loser, you'll tattoo it all over. Timothy did great things in the Bible. Great prophecies were made concerning him. And he went on to do great things as a young person. And Paul told him in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is really where I want to go. We finish with this tonight. Paul says to him in verse 12 of 1 Timothy 4, Let no one despise your youth. Let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Again, the point in that is that you can make a great impression on people even while you're young. We have some young men and some young ladies at Oakland where I'm at regularly. They are active. They are busy. They are involved. And they make a huge difference in that congregation. In fact, when you walk into our foyer, we have there on one of the tables, we have portraits, pictures, group pictures of all of our kids. All our kids. We're proud of them. And they're doing great things. And you can do great things too. And I know you are already. And I'm just encouraging you not to do it even more. You've listened well. Sometime back they had me in a lectureship and they advertised me and said uh, they had a preacher and a counselor and a lawyer all in this lecture. But when they advertised me, it said long-time gospel preacher Jeff May. And I asked them if they were talking about the number of years I'd been doing this or how long I preached. <laughs> long time. <laughs> You've listened well tonight. Thank you so much for that. If you need to respond to the gospel tonight, we're going to sing a song to encourage you. Young people, let's step up. Let's get it done. Let's do it, okay? There's challenges, yes, but you can do everything God wants you to do. Come while we stand and as we sing. To Jesus.